Welcome back to the Snow Family Farms podcast, episode number two. I'm your host, Russ, along with my beloved bride, Andrea, who is always by my side. And uh, today is Friday, September 2nd, 2022. And uh, today we're going to be, since this is our second podcast, we're going to be focused basically on how we got started to where we're at today, lessons learned, lots of failures we're going to share because there have been so many and hopefully keep you from uh, making those same failures. But uh, today we're going to talk to you about starting somewhere. And you always want to start wherever you're at. And our quote for today, before I get too far along, was from Epictetus. If you haven't read, uh, he was a Stoic philosopher, first century BC, give or take. But if you haven't read um, The Art of Living Well, you're missing out. Marcus Aurelius, another one. My wife's like, no one's reading your old books, Russell. Anyways, allegedly he was once asked, who is rich? And he said, he who is content. And the lesson there is, you know, if you're always looking for more, bigger, more sales, you're never going to be content. And for some folks, they're wired that way, right? But the thing that I will tell you about changing your framework of, of frame of reference is starting to count your blessings every day, looking for being intentional about being thankful. It will change your attitude. It'll make you happier, make your marriage better. Unless it, you're hurting <clears throat> livestock. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Let's not, listen, we're both laughing and smiling right now. Why do we want to go down that road today? But uh, so we're going to start about talking about starting where you are. And I've got a bunch of things in here. And the, the big thing, big takeaway from today is everything you do when you, you're starting down this road or if you're getting going, everything's a transferable lesson. So your failures are transferable, your successes are transferable. So if you go from being in an apartment to um, getting a house, say a quarter acre or under a half acre, everything that you learned in that apartment is going to transfer. It's just going to be a scale. And then when you go, like with us, if you get to a homestead or if you get you know a little bit bigger, all those lessons still transfer. So we're going to do our best to walk through this. Um, I've got 26 and a half minutes left, which <laughs> definitely is going to be enough. I could be here for hours. My wife's like, I got stuff to do. <laughs> I'm being held captive. Someone called the police. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I spent 14 months in Rhode Island right after entering. Yeah. It was, before we got married, I took this job knowing we were going to get married, came back but 14 months away and I lived in apartments in, I'm not going to say seedy areas, but uh, Andrea was nervous because when you, when you go out East, the big thing there is let's, you know, life, life is different uh, with the Yankees. Um, eye contact too aggressive. Can't say hello to folks. So, you know, but uh if you listen to PJ Fox, Joe Fox, he's got a great uh, YouTube channel. It's one of the guys I pay money to, to listen because he, I don't always agree with him, but he always makes me think and I always learn. But uh, he once talked about the job description. Uh, he was an SF major is how he retired. But the job description of the Green Berets is cross-cultural communication. So wherever you go, and this is a lesson too for later on, we'll talk about when you move to the country. No one cares about your thoughts when they and their families have been there for 80 years. 
So they want to hear about your regenerative farming. Now you can show them. And as you have success and do things, folks will start to ask questions. But it's just understanding wherever you're at, um, learn the culture, be thoughtful of it, and be thinking about how can I make this place better while I'm here. So we're going to start with being in an apartment. So the things there, get my phone unlocked. This is the behind baseball, behind the scenes that you, it's priceless. I know. Anyways, so normally when you're in an apartment, you don't have any land that's yours that you have a, a piece of. So you've always got a couple options. You've got windows. So if you have a south facing window and you're getting solid sunlight, you can, you know, can you say jerry rig still? Jury rig? Okay, we yes. can say that. All right. Yeah. Um, you can always put a shelf in that window and fill that with cracky plants. And we'll get to an episode about that. But so you've got if as small as that makes a huge difference. And if you've just got that amount of space, I would I would think about herbs that you use on a regular basis, lettuce, um, spinach, basil, basil chard, uh, those things, right? So if you have any kind of space, you can always do the gorilla gardening and you can just start, you know, throw some stuff down, see what happens. That's seeds. Uh, and again, the, if you have a door that faces and you can put out a little planter, you've got kale, uh, chard, the rainbow chard, very, very pretty, very cold, hardy, easy to grow, does really well in the heat in central Texas. So if it'll do well there, Anywhere north is fine. And I had that stuff growing in Idaho on our front porch. It had snow on it in December and it was still chugging along. Uh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty awesome plant for what it is and it's attractive. So you can say that it's silent. We had there several community gardens there. So you can go get an allotment. It's usually super, super cheap to rent a space. And that's usually four by eight. Um, they'll have a little house, you know, where you can store some tools. But a four by eight garden is you can grow a ton on that, and you you want to grow to wherever you're at, what grows well, and what a great place to learn lessons that you can transfer. You know, if you ever when you get a house, when you get a homestead, all those things, like I said, will transfer. Um, and then the next thing is in an urban area, there are folks, and this is going to be one of those things where you've got to have some. Oh, what was the movie that uh, my guy that held the radio up? Oh, what's his name? John, John Cusack, Cusack. Right. So there was a movie he had with a really fancy word that meant a confluence of things that happened in your favor. This is great podcasting, folks. You're very, you're very welcome. I can't believe this thing is free. Should have had that in there, anyways. But uh, you have to have some things go your way. But you. Serendipity. Serendipity is exactly. It's it's very. My wife always just blows her mind how I think. It's a very roundabout way of getting to that word. But uh, so you have to have a little serendipity happen. But there are so many folks who would be ecstatic for you to come grow a garden in their backyard, and give them half, give them a quarter. Uh, what's a guy is that is doing that professionally? It's his full time job. I know there are several guys doing that that have been on Spearco, but it's one of those things where if someone lives close to you and, and either walking distance or bike distance early on, because this is one of those things that driving across town and fight traffic is not worth it. 
But if you can find somebody that has that and you've got Nextdoor, Fiverr, well, probably not Fiverr, but Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, there are all these things that you can put up where folks are looking for that community. And especially, I think older folks um, would be super happy to have somebody grow something in their backyard, give them a couple pounds of tomatoes. Um, and even if you go 50-50, right, to have access to land, scream and deal for a little bit of labor. So those are the ideas for living in town. Um, the next thing up, so if, if you have a house or if you're renting a, a house that has anything less than a half acre, then we're going to talk about what you can do. And this can be urban, this could be suburban. Um, it can even be out in the country. You just have small space and that's all you can do, right? So animals, the gateway drug to homesteading. Is, Chickens. Is, See, she's still here. She's still here. Send help. Um, and, and chickens are great, right? The number one thing, if you're going to have chickens and you've got neighbors. Rooster, you cannot have a rooster. Yeah, because anyone tells you, well, this, this rooster doesn't crow that much. Lies. All lies. Those, they may start out that way, but eventually it'll come. Um, now, when hens lay eggs, they make a racket. If you were having a baby every day, or four days out of seven, you wouldn't be happy about it either. So um, they're going to lay that. They talk about it. They say, hey, I've successfully done my purpose in this world. But it's never offensive. I've never heard of anyone who hated hearing a hen cackle about laying an egg. And for the most part, the hens that you'll have will be really quiet beyond that. Um, ducks are not, if you're in a small place and you don't know your neighbors on both sides, I wouldn't start with ducks because the female ducks are chatty. They're very, very chatty. So uh, now if you have great relationships on both sides, maybe, but this goes back, we're going to have an episode in the future about bribing your neighbors. It is amazing what a dozen eggs a week, how much silence and goodwill that you can buy, but hooking your neighbors up with farm fresh eggs out of your backyard so and, and this is part of that community building and back to another sf guy that i worked with um he saw the world through the eyes of an insurgent and he always talked about and i've i've it changed my whole worldview working with that guy but uh doing things selflessly for your neighbors doesn't always have to be selfless right if you have a great relationship with your neighbors and you decide to start homesteading in your backyard, everything gets way easier. Instead of having to worry about animal control being called or, you know, the police getting involved or HOA knowing, you know, people would be like, hey, I'll keep my mouth shut. Cool. So those things matter. Be good. Be a good neighbor. Um, and this is going to get ready. If you're ever seriously thinking about going into a rural area, are you still here, Andrea? <laughs> Yes, yes. This is how our marriage goes. Oh, goodness. It's, that's hurtful. Um, but back to being a good neighbor. Wherever you're at, that's important. It's a life skill. And Adam Carolla talks about this in a different frame. We won't go down that road. Andrea gave me the look. She's like, Get back to the homesteading. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. So anyways, being a good neighbor. That's going to be an episode later as well. But uh, so animals... Rabbits, super easy. You can grow rabbits. If you have a one-car garage, you can put some rabbits in that garage. They will, they, their smell is earthy. Um, 
you need to put a piece of metal because the plastic, the urea, their, their urine will eat through plastic. But you can put it all into a bucket uh, with a little scoop. We'll have something on this later too. And that's it. They're super easy. Um, and I I remember this has been seven or eight years because Andrew's murdered rabbits with me before. But uh, And we ate those. But uh, it wasn't just murder for murder's sake. Anyways, stop judging me. I'm giving the people what they want. Um, <laughs> if you're going to, you can't whisper your takes. This is a podcast. They want to hear what you're saying. Um, but with three does and a buck rabbit, you can put 300 pounds of meat in your freezer in a year. Now, is there some work involved there? Yes. But you can put rabbit cages, stack them right on top of each other in a shelf-like system, catch your uh, waste, and you've got amendments for your soil that will blow your mind how many things they fix. And they're super quiet. They're And you just go to the store and you buy a bag of pellets. Right. And, you know, you can back your car into the garage and no one will ever know that you have rabbits. They're that easy. And then another thing that we haven't done, but I've seen a lot of folks doing, it's been on my list, but quail inside, um, quick turnaround. I hear great things about the eggs. I've had pickled quail eggs and I really like them. So on that side, uh, quail, we don't have experience with, but I know a lot of folks are doing that. They don't make any sound quick turn around the meat. They're easy to breast Wait, dress because by breasting. So you just pull the skin off, take the breasts and yeah, get rid of the rest. But, uh, I, they don't have the return on investment meat wise that rabbits do. And then the other thing about the rabbits, honestly, you're going to hear me talk a lot about rabbit poop to where you, you think it's weird, but they will solve so many problems for you in your garden. Um, so speaking of gardens, so if you've got a half acre or less, you have room for a garden. Um, you just need a tiny area that gets eight ish hours of sun. Um, you can make do with four if you get directly during the middle of the day sun, and then you're going to have, you know, the, the remainder bouncing off. Um, berries. It depends on where you're at, right? Here in the South, blackberries are bulletproof. So once you get them started, they will just grow and grow and grow. Um, in the North, the thing that Andrea misses the most is raspberries. <laughs> I get, I hear no end about it. I'm going to try it here. I will see what we can do. Um, I miss rhubarb, but so you've got these perennial berries, rhubarb, currants, gooseberries, all those things grow really well in the North strawberries. We're going to try those hydroponically and see what they do here because they grow strawberries everywhere. So we'll just have to grow them here early and late and just look at those as, uh, annuals instead of perennials. And then what else do we have in Idaho? Tomatoes. Well, on the berry side, was there anything else? Gooseberries, currants. This is, again, enthralling. Andrew's like, your note should have been better, Russell. I know she's thinking it. Half her marriage is me talking to her and then answering. Just, she, oh, she, oh, I'm not supposed to say that. But we have, I make her laugh all the time because I have a face for radio, a voice for print. <laughs> but uh, so next, once you get into the gardening, we'll talk about if you just have uh, – space in the back tomatoes peppers always everybody's favorite onions are really easy garlic 
plant in the fall, harvest in the spring. We'll do a show about all those things. But the, the number one thing is grow what you enjoy eating. Uh, the last thing that you want to do is grow a whole bunch of things that you don't like. And the Baker Creek seed catalog is the number one reason of growing things that you don't even like because everything's so beautiful and I see it and I'm like, oh my goodness, that looks awesome. I need to grow it. And I'm like, I don't even like beans. Why did I plant a quarter acre of beans? So <laughs> grow the things that you love to eat. Don't, and you're going to fail. You're going to kill stuff. You're going to get pests. Awesome. It's just a learning. And that's one of the things about Jocko Willink. He talks about everything that every time you fail, good, good, because I've learned something and I'm going to get better from it. You can't let these things overwhelm you. Um, even though my wife is overwhelmed by my squirrel episodes of chasing different things all the time. So the next thing is, so from a simple garden, if you, so Idaho, we had the most lovely soil in the world. You could dig down 18 inches, two feet, and it was still just this lush black, uh, loam soil. And it was fertile. It was just glorious. I still did raise beds there. In hindsight, what was I thinking? But if you have poor soil, the raised beds make a ton of sense. Now, the, the next thing is going to be everybody's got a budget. And if you're balling out of control, as the kids used to say when Andrea and I were young, you can go get redwood and make it beautiful, make it four feet tall, have somebody haul in all kinds of lovely topsoil and compost and mix it all for you. Or if you're living normally, you're going to have to do all this stuff yourself. And you can go with uh, scrap wood that you find from construction projects, whatever. Honestly, 12 inches, most places is going to be plenty. You don't have to use wood. You don't have to use concrete blocks. You can just pile up soil. The plants will figure it out. Watering is going to, on the edges, level that down. You're going to have an angle. Life goes on. Um, so if you can't find materials, but you have a source for, if you're composting everything, uh, if you want to bring in soil from somewhere else, great. So just know you can go from absolutely free to as expensive as you want to be. Um, I don't know, depending on where you're at, I don't know how much difference it's going to make. So if you have great soil, it doesn't matter. Where we were at in Texas, we had anywhere from six to 18 inches, a lot like Spirico, of soil. And it was a black gumbo. It was the, it was just horrendous for a garden. And like I said, for two years, I killed everything. And then it became, with the rabbits and composting and everything, I, I never built raised beds in the backyard. I just amended the soil and started to get really, really good production that last, uh, especially last year before we put in the greenhouse. So you can do that. If I can do that there, you can do it anywhere. So it's just amendments, again, the rabbit poop, uh, composting, all these things. What's the next one here? The next step, you've done all these things. You've been working towards it. You've gotten out of debt, won the lottery. doesn't matter how you get there, right? Inherited land, found the right spot. And we're going to talk in a later episode about how do you find uh, 
we'll spend a whole episode on it. Buying raw land versus building versus buying uh, an existing home. And we'll have thoughts and pluses and minuses. We've, we've seen everything. Um, there are, everything we've talked about is going to transfer into a rural homestead. And back to the permaculture, you've got zone zero, which is you go outside the door and you see Andrew has basil and some other things planted right out the front door. So you want to, you want to think about those things. And then zone one or zone two, I would put the garden in zone one. Uh, we always end up having a hike from the greenhouse to the house. But uh, what we learned from the first greenhouse is with the second greenhouse, it's right next to where all of our animals are. So where we go to do our chores, the greenhouse is right there. So we're in, it's a really easy to go in, spend some time, harvest, look at it, keep track of it. So the, the garden space is in the same place where the greenhouse would have been if we didn't have the greenhouse. Um, so put that in the space that's easy for you to get to and that everything, one, when you get to your rural homestead retreat, whatever you want to call it, doubt you make everything portable for the first couple of years move everything around so you can expand get closer whatever you need to do it helps with predator pressure when you've got stuff close to one another as well because coyotes it helps a little bit but coyotes raccoons skunks porcupines they don't like to have structures on both sides it makes them nervous because it feels like a trap so there are all these things that you can do and then moving the manure, moving your compost, all that stuff just gets way easier when it's close together. So Andrea had to leave because I talked and talked so much. Anyways, we're going to continue on. Uh, she'll be back. And uh, we, we had a, one of the great things about our marriage is we had a very uh, frank talk. She said, you talk too much. And so we're going to get better next time. I'm, I'm going to give her eye contact and she's going to talk. But back to where we're at, about starting where you're at. So again, if you're on land, that, that zone zero, outside your door, what you're going to grow there. Zone one, gardens, greenhouses. And then zone one, zone two, your fruit trees. So for us, we made the fruit trees where we're at here in Oklahoma. Uh, basically part of our landscaping. So I've got them close enough to the fences, but far enough away that the uh, cows can't get them. But I have irrigation run to all of them, little drip lines, polyethylene hose. You're going to hear me talking a ton about that. Value, bang for your buck, it is just really, really hard to beat. So for us, we've got straight lines. We're interspersing comfrey with the fruit trees. So we've got, oh, what do I, I think I'm at 25, 30 now. We were at 50 and down in central Texas and Milford. But uh, we're going to get there. It's just been slow giving attention to everything as it grows. But those fruit trees, that's where, and I had 13 at our little third of an acre place in Idaho. Part of that again, the soil. Um, and we had slope. So as it went down, I had a little bit more, uh, even, even though I had huge, shade trees in the back, that slope gave me a little bit extra sun in the afternoon. So fruit trees are just awesome. But the big thing there is plant what you really, really love to eat. And then you're going to have an excess at some point. 
So, and whether, again, whether you're in town, guerrilla gardening, graft those on to Bradford pears, uh, the little backyard orchard or out in the country where you have a ton, buy off your neighbors, be a good neighbor, give that stuff. And even with, so what we're trying to do is give away a, a portion of our excess. So, and that's friends and that's neighbors and just making that fruit. One, it makes you happy. If you've ever gotten fresh peaches off a tree that are soft and ripe, it changes your life. The, the hardest thing for me, because I, at work, we have a uh, barbecue team because it's Texas, right? Why wouldn't you have a barbecue team? The peaches that I have to use out of season, they disgust me. It hurts my soul. And even in season, when you can find them in the store, they're rock hard versus I don't pick mine until they're mushy on the outside and juicy. And, and when you bite into that peach off the tree and you've got peach juice rolling down your chin because you just can't get it all in your mouth, my goodness, it is the greatest thing ever. And all the work, all the scheduling of fertilizing and pruning, all those things, so worth it when you when you have that experience. So from trees, the next thing is going to be, are you going to have animals? Depends on me. Uh, because in town, you're really limited to just a really, really small number of animals where you're not going to get draw attention to yourself that's negative. When you get into the country, when you get into a rural area, and again, this is anything at an acre even, if you're in the right place where you can have animals, things to think about. And ducks, geese, geese are so loud, but they're nature's smallest cow. They eat grass. They'll take care of your chickens. There's and then goose egg custard will change your life again. Back to you know things like the peaches, but uh, so geese are awesome. Muscovy ducks. We got into them this year. If you have water features, if you have a place, and again you can get them into the pen at night. They don't naturally return like your chickens will, but they're easy enough to get into the pen. So once you get beyond those, the fowl, turkeys. Of all the things that we've done, profitability-wise, turkeys per pound are still our most profitable thing we've done. Uh, the thought, it's its a big thing. You have to have the right clientele. You have to have folks who ha are affluent or have extra money or really, really care about what they're eating at Thanksgiving. But the one year that we did turkeys, I was selling for $75 a bird. And folks didn't blink. It's one of those things. Here where we're at in rural Oklahoma, I am not going to sell any of those birds, maybe a couple total in Love County. But uh, the folks I work with, they sold for us. And at some point, we'll get back to those. The problem is, how many can you sell? So 10, 15, processing, all that stuff. And where we're at now, we don't have a processor to take them to. And it was $13 plus, I think it was a dollar a pound over, yeah, no, it's just 13. It was a flat rate. It's like $13. That's a scream of deal when you're getting 75 for me not to have to do the work, right? So the exchange of value there makes sense. Here, me doing it myself, the thought of throwing one of those in my uh, yard bird, the featherer, plucker, no, no thanks. Not risking that. Pigs. We have cooney coonies now. This is the second time we've attempted cooney coonies. The first time wasn't so good that they get. They simply were outcompeted by the American guinea hogs. 
but the Cooney Coonies we really, really like. These the ones we have right now are about three months old. Got them down from a buddy in between Waco and Hillsboro. Their the personality, their lack of digging, it's a slow-growing pig. There's a lot of lard. Um, Cooney Coonies, small space, definitely worth doing. They are vocal uh, when they see you. So they're very chatty. American guinea hogs. If you told me there's an apocalypse, you need a hog that's bulletproof, that's going to reproduce, that grows slowly, ton of lard. There's a ton of things about the American guinea hog I really, really like. And I'm running out of time. Um, conventional hogs. The big thing about them is just they're so strong. They grow much faster, but getting them into a trailer, really hard. If you've ever tried to convince a 350 pound hog on where it's going to go, it is 100% on that pig. You can encourage, you're not directing. So with American Guinea, Cooney Cooney, you can pick that pig's back feet up, drag him into a trailer, and off he goes to the butcher. Um, we'll have a bunch of episodes on the different pigs. And the last thing is cattle. So, um, and let me take a step back. Goats, sheep. I raised sheep in high school. It was such a horrific experience because we had goats there. Um, the thing I'll say about sheep, and I know guys love them. And I think it's just everybody, what the experience they have and how they judge them. But for me, they just were trying to find a way to die. And then goats, on the other hand, had, uh, I was allergic to cow milk as a kid. So these goats, they, one, they're going to escape. Goats are your buddy. They love you. If you're doing it right, you're their shepherd. You're their person. They want to be close to you. And if they escape, that involves dancing on your car because they love the sound of their own hooves. Like me and my voice. Um, I'm going to get better about sharing that with Andrew. But... Uh, so goats, bulletproof, milk, easy to milk. I, I know you can milk sheep. I've never even seen it done. But with goats, super easy. Most of the goats, you'll have a learning curve when you start milking, but you can get there. Whether it's lotions, soaps, drinking it, cheese, all those things. It doesn't have the fat content, and they don't have the heavy cream that milk or cow milk will self-separate. Goat milk, you have to have a separator if you're going to go that route butter cream makes it a little bit more difficult but uh they for again apocalypse animal goats can make a living in a really really rough area and you think about folks uh the nubian goats are my favorite because i love the personalities um, versus the alpine goats from europe the nubians coming from africa it is a much much hardier animal and much more heat tolerant than the alpines uh, the alpine that we have right now, I feel like she suffers a little bit when it's super out here. The Nubians don't care a bit. 109, let's go party. Uh, but they, we, they eat a ton of browse. So if I remember right, 30, 40% of their diet is browse, and that's woody, stemmed, weeds, off of trees, all that. They also eat grass, but they have to have that browse for their uh, rumen to work right. And then the last thing is, is cattle. Uh, we started with mini cows. We moved to a South Pole bull, and we also have five, uh, five yeah, five conventional size cows now. And they're all either Angus, 
Hereford Cross, which are called Baldies down here. And then I've got one that's a Jersey Brahma Cross. She is the sweetest cow. She threw a beautiful calf, big udder. But uh, we're breeding them all right now to a, a Red Angus bull. So there are pluses and minuses about all of those. If you have two or three acres, Belties or Dexters, you can have a cow-calf pair on that and probably make it work, depending on where you're at, right? Here, you might have to supplement with a lot of hay, depending on the year. Um, as soon as you get to five acres, it gets really easy for a cow-calf pair. And that would involve either taking your cow to a bull or bringing a bull. On a small place, I wouldn't bring the bull. I would take the cow. She's going to get beat up a little bit. It'll be fine. They figure it out. Um, but we'll talk more about the differences between those cows and what to have. But for me, the ultimate security blanket that I have is seeing a whole bunch of cattle in the back. Uh, cows are not smart at all, but they are just lovely creatures. Um, I, I just listening to them graze is one of the great joys of my life. It's just super contenting. Um, I'm over my time, so I'm going to stop this recording, get this added in, try and edit everything, and we'll get better every time that we do this. And the next episode, I promise, Andrew's going to talk a lot more. Uh, but thank you for listening. As always, if you have questions, if you have comments, by all means, put them down there. Hopefully, at some point in the future, we'll earn your subscribe. Give us a chance. We've already got, uh, I think, a plan for about 40 episodes. The goal is to get to 100 and reassess and see how this is, how time-wise, if it's worth the investment, if we're getting helping folks. If you enjoy the show, right? But uh, that's all we have. Thanks again. Bye-bye.